It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you, it's not me. It's all of us. Only together we can start a movement in fixed diet culture, and we will. Let's begin with now. The following episode is a very special mini-sode that may sound a bit different than our usual episodes. Perhaps a bit more rough around the edges, they give you a rare look behind the scenes or take a deep dive on a special topic. We hope you enjoyed this mini-sode. We will be back in July with our typical programming. Until then, hit subscribe and say fuck off to diets. Hey there, welcome to episode 328. I hope you're enjoying these mini-sodes. They have been really fun for me and my team to record them. So yeah, we hope you're enjoying them as much as we are enjoying recording them. I know for me, (laughs) I don't know if you just heard that, but uh, Doug is right at my feet as I'm recording this, which is super risky because, you know, when they handed Doug Doug's my dog, by the way, in case you don't know who I'm talking about. But when they handed Doug to me as this cute little eight-week-old puppy, they said, oh, by the way, he's the one that gets the rest of the litter all riled up by his barking. He sure does talk a lot. And while I kind of gave a half smile because I knew we were in for a lot of barking, he fits in really well because we all have a lot to say. <laughs> so yes, I am hoping as I'm recording this short mini so that he does not just lose it. He does like to look out the window in my office where I'm sitting right now and patrol for any dog walker or rabbit. There's even a groundhog name that I've named Gary that likes to come on by every once in a while. So Doug is patrolling. So let's hope that he falls asleep. <laughs> But anyway, I do hope you are enjoying these mini-sodes, and today's episode is about helping kids find their food voice, and there are a lot of different topics within this that I find to be really important as I'm raising my two kids, who are currently 15 and 10, and I have had some really interesting and surprising kind of shifts in helping kids navigate their food voice. You know, before I actually had kids, it was, I thought I was gonna recommend something different, which is, you know, when you're actually in your lived experience, you often do things differently for good reason. And so I'm gonna share with you what I have found, how I have navigated things. And, you know, I feel like it's important to just note that Um, I don't necessarily think I have all the answers. I think there's many different answers. What I have done is what's probably around the best for my family. And also noting, uh, while I am a woman, I don't experience much systemic oppression because I'm in a thin body and I'm white and cis. So I am going to have probably a little bit more, not a little bit, I'm minimizing. I'm gonna have a lot more support doing these radical things because of the body that I'm in. So I just wanna honor that. And if you have different lived experience, I, um, you may find, yeah, it just doesn't feel the same. Um, and I also would love to hear 
the things that you have done to help raise your kids to get to know their own food voice and develop it to be what they need it to be as they get older. But before we get to what I have to say about this in the mini-sode, before this quick break, you may have noticed commercials now within the podcast, you know, and I'm a podcast listener myself. I'm a big podcast listener and I always skip the commercials. And for many shows that I've listened to for years, I know how many 30 second button meshes I need to push in order to get to the other side of the break. And I recently learned that a podcaster doesn't get paid if one does not listen to the commercials. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on a second. That may be just fine when I'm listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast, but what about um, these independent podcasters who I love their show, when I'm skipping the commercials, they're not getting paid. And that also helped me appreciate that like, oh my gosh, me and my team are not getting paid either when folks uh, skip the commercials. So as annoying as they are, yes, they are annoying. If you are looking for more ways to support me and the Find Your Food Voice team, listen or just like not skip the commercials, having them on, having these commercials for as long as we've had them, which I think has been almost a year, has averaged out to pay for about half of the cost of publishing each episode. And we would love to get to the point where it's covering all of it. So if you can tolerate the commercials that are coming up next, just know that my team and I are super grateful. And thank you for supporting independent podcasters. All right, so we'll be back in, I don't know, one or two minutes. (laughs) Welcome back. So there are two different themes that I wanna discuss about helping kids to find their food voice. One has to do with words and the other has to do with food. So the first one with words, uh, when I was raising my kids, I noticed some, even though they're two different kids, like my kids, one's biological and one is not. So even though they have different DNA and different genders, they are um, four and a half years apart, there were some things that happened to both of them around the same age that I found really interesting that I wanna share with you. And I'm gonna share how I initially kind of went through um, teaching certain things about words and then how in the moment, how I changed because there were there was a lot of um, work and growth that I was going through in my own relationship with food, with my own relationship with my body who is um, which is experiencing different levels of oppression than other people, which just informed how I was going to teach my kids. And so it changed along the way and some of it did surprise me, especially, no, no, both of them. I was going to pick one, but like, no, they both surprised me. <laughs> okay, so with the wording, it's about body diversity and the word in particular is the word fat. So as I was becoming more Um, invested in anti-diet work, um, non-diet nutrition, intuitive eating, anything in that kind of realm, I was starting to appreciate while I was learning from fat activists about neutralizing the word fat. And I knew before I was even had, before I even had my first child, that I wanted to raise my kids to not think of fat as a bad word. I wanted them to at least think of it as a neutral, if not a positive. And 
that was something that I remember even discussing before my first kid even came out was like how that was going to be really important for me. I talked to people that I knew were going to be around us a lot, how this was really important. And so, yeah, as my kids were growing up, the word fat was thrown into conversations to make it a word that they would hear and a word that was a neutral. So I remember hearing myself as like they were sitting in the corner coloring, do you want to use this fat crayon or this skinny crayon? And maybe a fat slice of bread or a thin slice of bread if we were making a sandwich. I would try to use the word fat as a word that was just a, a word that was neutral and not something jarring. You know, I wanted my kids to have an association with that word that was, that it just was a word. And then when my, both my kids, so again, this is where it was kind of interesting in my experience is when both of my kids went to kindergarten and one kid had more experience with preschool than the other, but it was right at kindergarten. So I don't know if it's just something about the age of five, but both of them came home within the first week or two of kindergarten saying, mommy, is fat a bad word? And when it happened to the second kid, I was like, oh wow, this is really interesting. And something to keep in mind about kids in kindergarten is when they're hearing about bodies, they're really doing a lot of parroting, parroting, you know, like the bird, not parent, but parroting, and just repeating what people say. But they do pick up on the nuance of things like that things have positive or negative connotations. They may not be able to describe that, but they know when something has a positive or negative connotation. And so they were hearing someone say some disparaging thing about their body as a teacher or just another adult in the room or a kid being teased because of their body and using fat as a put down. And I can't remember which child told me this, but I do remember one of them saying, you know, mom, is, is fat a bad word? Because so-and-so called this person in my class fat and that kid started crying and the person who used that word about my friend got in trouble. Does that mean that I am bad when I use that word? And I was like, oh shit, this is, there's a lot of nuance in there. And so I really, I remember getting supervision on how to best get work through this. I don't know why I laughed, but I mean, it was just, I remember being like, what, what do I do? And I noticed that there's a lot of perfectionism when I'm navigating these things. Like I want to do the right thing. And something that in supervision and consultation with other folks, it's what I was told is like, there's going to be many different ways to navigate this. And, um, it's okay if you mess up and it's good to repair when you do. So I really was like, we need to have some conversation about nuance, but how do you do that with a five-year-old? I'll get to that in a second. But the other thing I noticed is around this time, my kids were starting to watch more TV. Of course, the second one watched more TV more than the first one as per usual. <laughs> but I noticed um, the concept of fatness in drawings um, or in cartoons was showed as a negative. Of course, Disney cartoons, um, again, like comics or just coloring um, books had 
fat bodies represented in a really negative way. And I did not like that. I do remember bringing this to my kids' attention, like, oh, wow, look at this. They're describing this word fat or they're showing this in a way that's negative. And I didn't say it quite like that, but I remember starting to name, you know, some people use this word as a negative. In our family, we do not believe that. We believe all bodies are important, are beautiful, and um, just know that not everyone thinks in that way. Something that my kids started doing just as these conversations were happening was they started to call out shows when the moment. And sometimes I'd be half listening, of course, because the TV was often the babysitter, especially as we got through COVID. But when we, when they'd be watching a show, they would, I, sometimes I would hear them turn it off, but I wasn't really listening to the show. And I was like, oh, what happened? Why'd you turn it off? And they said, oh, there was um, some fat phobic comment. Um, and I didn't want to hear that, so I turned it off. And I was like, yes. And I remember just hoping and praying that they would intercept in the moment um, comments in real life too. And sometimes they have and sometimes they haven't. But that kind of brings back to, is fat a bad word? One thing that I struggled with, and again, there's a lot of nuances, is as my, my kids' bodies started to settle into a certain shape, um, and were not fat and currently aren't, helping them to navigate how to use that word, if at all, and teaching that, again, like the way society and how diet culture and these other um, systems of oppression, um, how those infiltrate our words, um, not everyone sees it as a positive. And so one thing I've, a child development person recommended because I said how do I help my kids um, talk about other bodies and she said well I think it's good for kids to just know that no one appreciates hearing how their body looks and I know there is not an there's not as much absolute in that you know there may be times where we find it's okay to talk about people's bodies and but as a helping a kid with a very concrete kind of mode of thinking at the time, that really helped me. So I wanted to pass it along to you. Because kids will often describe people, and it's not a bad thing, but also we don't know what a person is experiencing. We don't know what words that they want to use to describe their body, and it's not our decision. And, you know, just noting, you know, no one appreciate hearing, no one appreciates hearing how their body looks. I also told them, let your friends tell you how they want you to describe their body, if at all. So if a friend uses the word fat as a neutral descriptor, then, and ask them how, it, how they feel if you use that too, um, you know, making sure that they understood that this was not their decision to make. And also there were a lot of times where, especially as my kids got older past kindergarten, but not too much later after that, when some children in their class were in higher weight bodies, were starting to diet and talking about that. And I realized that my episode is already longer than I wanted it to be. So that's gonna have to be saved for another mini-sode topic. I feel like I barely scratched the surface of the word fat and helping kids and my family to navigate it. Um, but I need to stop, for there, stop there because I need to go to the next one. And um, the next, uh, 
kind of nugget that I want to describe for you is eating guidelines or eating rules. And I want to share with you before I had kids, I was die hard um, Ellen Satter in my view. And what that means, in case, especially if you don't know who Ellen Satter is, Ellen Satter is a dietitian and therapist who has done a lot of research on eating behavior, especially when it comes to kids, but also all different ages. And she came up with this division of food responsibility where the parents are in charge of eating times and choices and kids are in charge of how much to eat, if at all. But when I was a dietitian before I had children, I was a pediatric dietitian and I was teaching this principle, oh my gosh, eight to 10 times a day, especially when I was working in the hospital clinics. And it was something that I thought I would for sure use raising my kids. And when a child is first born, it's really common to kind of do on-demand feeding. But as solid food started happening, I relied on this structure, you know? I just decided the meal times and the food choices, and my kids were in charge of how much, if at all, to eat. But then like life started to happen, and I also was really discovering what my food voice was and what was important to me. And what was important to me was not was that food was not just fuel. If you go back through really old blog posts of mine, there's some problematic ones in there. But you will always see that theme that food is more than fuel. Eating is not for when you're just hungry. Emotional eating is normal and awesome, you know? So I felt like I still could use the spirit of Ellen Satter's kind of principles, but I didn't always follow it. And I know that may be surprising to you, especially if I talked to you before I had kids when I was really preaching this, but I found that food as a reward, I remember being so against this, but really food as a reward or even a bribe, there definitely were times for it. And I loosely saved it for when I needed it, but sometimes it just fit, even if I it wasn't like dire, but the dire times when food was re- used as a reward or a bribe was traveling, especially on airplanes, or when you were with other people outside of your family. Um, I would do a lot of food bribes. <laughs> and then sick days. So if some kid needed to take medicine, I had one in particular that was really hard to convince to take medicine. There was a time, probably five, six years ago, when my kids and I all got um, community-acquired pneumonia. And my younger child did not want to take the medicine and almost had to go to the hospital. And I remember trying everything I could, every kind of bribe, including food bribes, to get him to take the medicine. (sighs) That was a time. (laughs) Anyway, so food ended up being used sometimes as a reward or a bribe. And even more, I noticed that it was important for me to prioritize my relationship with my kids over this kind of food guideline or food rules, really. One example is when COVID happened and we all remember, especially if you weren't used to working from home and your kids were at home or just other people there, it was a lot. We were all in a chaotic kind of vibe and 
having to also try to get things done in some kind of fashion. And I had my office upstairs in my closet. My partner had it, his office in a guest room and we had a doors closed, but really like there was just chaos because both my kids were trying to do school from home. And in order to get things done, you know, before this, usually I would decide when it was time to eat um, loosely again, probably 80% of the time. But when COVID happened, it, it was an open pantry system. Like they could eat whenever they wanted, whatever they wanted. And we just had to be okay with it. And so then as my kids got older from there on out, I noticed that they had more confidence in taking care of themselves around food. And um, I was really kind of like glad that happened. I know there's so much of COVID that's so shitty, so I don't want to minimize that. But that was one thing that my family and I got out of this is that, oh, my kids could manage a lot of their eating. And um, that was really neat. So. I want to wrap things up because this is not a mini-sode. This is a regular episode now. (laughs) And um, as I kind of close out, I just want to say that, again, these are my lived experience. And if you have different identities from mine, you may find it so much different. And that's so okay because developing my own food voice and helping my kids develop their food voice very well and needs to look different in your own experience. We all have our different experiences, but I hope by me sharing my lived experience, it helps you to navigate how you want to move forward with how we talk about bodies and how we experience food in our house. All right. So this is all for now. And I look forward to coming into your podcast inbox next week. And until then, take care. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this mini-sode. If you did, could you leave us a review or share this episode on your social media? Doing so helps more people find us and we want everyone to find their food voice. Bye for now.